Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Warning. Today's show contains violence and themes of a sexual nature. Parental guidance is advised. This is Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Yes, hello and welcome to Oral Delights. I hope everyone is fine and well. Bit of a nice show today. We have a story by none other than the great science fiction grandmaster, Mr. Michael Moorcock, with a Jerry Cornelius story. So there you go. And we have a short piece of fiction by Adam Roberts, science fiction writer. There will also be some news about the Saturday shows as well, so stay tuned to that at the back of this recording. There will be some details on what's changing on the Saturday shows, how I feel about them, and everything like that. I hope you'll join me and enjoy the show. First off, we'll start with a little bit of poetry. How to Make Love to a Shark by Laurel Winter Not the fish kind, a remodeled human type with reinforced microfilament transmitter-receiver, sharp-edged bioalloy, solar-charged fin, the kind that sits on chairs backwards, the kind that shreds your wallpaper just turning around and flashes a razor grin at you, the kind you don't want to mess with. This kind of shark. If you do want to mess around with a shark, don't do it nude unless you're into pain, unless you want your tenderness scoured raw by shark skin, genetically enhanced, sandpaper rough. Don't French kiss if you like your tongue. Don't shed blood. And remember, unless you want your bed cut in two, we always get to be on top. Thank you, Laurel Winter, for that. It was most appreciated. And Diane Severson. Diane, thank you again. Don't forget to check out the website for links to both Laurel's and Diane's sites. Next, we have a little bit of flash fiction. And actually, flash fiction, it's going on 10 minutes. So <laughs> I'm running out of flash fiction, to be quite honest. So today's short story is by Adam Roberts. Adam Roberts has been nominated twice for the Arthur C. Clarke Award in 2001 and 2007 for his debut novel Salt and for the novel Grady Sale, both published by Glantz. Mr. Roberts is also a professor of 19th century literature in the English Department of Royal Holloway, University of London. Teaches courses in two main areas, first in 19th century literature, especially poetry. He has a PhD on Browning and the Classics and offers courses on Romantic poetry, Theories of Laughter, Tragedy and 19th Century Literature. We also have another story by Adam Roberts coming in one of the oral delights, so look forward to that. So, be advised, this story does contain some scenes of sexual and violent nature. 
Parental guidance is advised. It's on. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, this is my understanding of how we came to be here. And the least I can do is give you my sense of how we got here, how we arrived, as it were. It happened like this. Remorse was developed by the Pharmacon Corporation using a smile-shaped wedge of governmental money on account of drug development being so billions expensive. It was initially designed as a treatment for certain psychopathologies in which individuals lacked human empathic skills, designed so that they could be given the help they needed. It's, uh, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it in its medical format. It's a museum piece now, of course. It was a lozenge, a small pellet, like a gold pebble. White one, black one. And you placed this under the tongue, I think. Which is to say, no, I'm getting this wrong. I'm sorry. It wasn't under the tongue, of course not. Sorry, sorry. It was a lozenge, but you pressed it up against the roof of your mouth. And the nanofoam got itself going, set its pathways tentacling, insinuated its way into the brain pan. Oh, sorry. Okay, so... Imagine a sociopath. They tested it on psychopaths and murderers, first of all, you see. Not that there's a center in the brain where remorse is, you know, generated. I'm sorry if I gave you that impression. I really am. That would be misleading. Killer kills because he is untroubled about the violence he inflicts on others. Killer kills because it makes him feel powerful and immune and that power and that immunity depend upon the thingness of the victim. You cut a throat, and it's only a throat, not a whole, living, terrified human being. It's not even a throat. It's just a mechanism by which the killer reinforces his superhumanity. Or so I understand it to have been. Obviously, I want to be clear about this. I don't want to give you a false impression. Obviously, I really don't understand the motivations of such people. I'm sorry, I'm sure you don't either, but we can both agree that they need treatment. So, remorse becomes a treatment for crime. All of it. Crime as a whole. Put it in the water. That was the famous slogan. The famous slogan. The Blanchett slogan. And why not put it in the water supply? Not for nothing was it called the Utopia Drug by... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I can't remember who said that. But it was a well-chosen word, don't you think? A dilution. A development of the pharmachemistry. Why not dose up certain populations? That's the idea. Because if we give Hannibal Lecter this pill, we discover that he empathizes too much with his victim to kill them. He can't do it anymore. He flat can't. His victim is no longer a thing. His victim is a person. Just pulling the knife from its sheath maketh the killer for to burst into tears to throw himself on the floor with all. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
And if it works in large dose for such extreme criminals, then might it not, in smaller doses, might it not take the edge off the whole crime wave? Dampen the tsunami? Could you steal someone's car if your mental threshold for remorse were raised just a little? Could you mug someone if you empathised fully with the victim? Of course not. I'll tell you something else, too. It was, I remember this. I'm sorry, I'm a bit disjointed in my narrative here. I'm sorry. It must be somehow annoying for you to have to listen to this rambling. <laughs> this rambling. Look, I remember how it was, and I remember one of the reasons there was such widespread support for the drug. Put it in the water, they said. Give it to everybody, they said. Let's say you arrest Hannibal Lecter. Let's say you punish him. He's grinning the whole time. You put him in prison. Do what you like. Starve him. Beat him. Make him lie in a wet mattress. Oh, God, just think of it. And pass electric current through it. And he's grinning at you. You see, you can't touch the core of his evil mind. You want to, but you can't. You see, you don't want just to hurt his body. You want him to feel the pain he has inflicted. You want to take the pain he has created and inject it into his mind. But you are never able to do that. Now you can. The drug made that possible. It's a boon to justice. And it does reduce crime levels. It does guard against terrorism. And it does preserve the peace. And does all that simply by raising the natural human response to the pain of others. Even to contemplate a crime can cause overwhelming and gushing levels of remorse to flood the mind. I know, as you know, because we all know, now that it's in the water. Mr Blanchett? Too tight? Okay, I'm sorry, okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. There. There, there. Now, things were, of course, better. Things were, and it's a simple move to expand the definition of crime to include political malefaction. So people don't rape and rob anymore because so much as planning the crime brings on agonising bouts of remorse. It's not hard to refine the drugs such that planning to overthrow the government as a terrorist might, and planning to vote out the government as a voter might, become pretty much the same thing. Opposing the government brings with it prolonged and agonising bouts of remorse. And I vote. I voted at the last election, and with a clear conscience, and for your administration too. Isn't the world better now? I remember how it was before, when you couldn't walk from house to store without risking gunjacking. Much better now! And I've often wondered if there's a connection between the remorse response in the brain and the gratitude response. I'm grateful, certainly. I'm grateful for what the drug has done for society. Of course, the... what you might call... I'm sorry, what you might call side effects. There are side effects. A lot of people are timid. Some are pretty cowed, I guess. Some take it bad, can barely leave their homes for fear of, you know, of whatever they might, accidentally or intentionally, you know. But others function pretty well. 
pretty well, all things considered. And then there are those who, well, take me. Here's the example of me. I did try, for a time, to pick a path so as to avoid feeling this ramped-up remorse. I attempted, and this is not a figure of speech, not to hurt a fly. But then I came to an understanding. I call it self-revelation. Remorse is an intensity. It is an extreme focus of self-awareness and other awareness. It's, in a word, look, I'm sorry to use this word, but it's sex. No, that's not good enough, for it's more intense than sex, provided only... Look, here's what I mean. This stiletto? It's better than a cock. The point on your skin, it's... it's. There's an exquisite... There's a... And the force, the pressure of muscles that... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <sighs> I always do that. <laughs> Say it seven times, I mean. I don't plan to. It just comes out that way. As the knife goes in. As the blood comes out. Oh, the ecstasy of it. The sevenfold ecstasy of it. And yes, it's true. I come. <laughs> yes, it's true. My heart goes poppity poppity. But it's not just... Sorry, here. Let me loosen that a little. There you go. Sorry, the floor is bare concrete, Senator, but I'll need to clean it shortly, and carpet would be... Well, you can imagine. But, Senator, what I was saying... What I was saying... Is that although my body makes manifest certain symptoms of physical desire, the... Not that I don't prepare for that. I'm wearing plastic boxers, for instance. <laughs> Learned that right at the start, after the first of them but the intensity with which my excitement and my agony at your pain is mixed together, that's more than just a physical thing. That's a transcendent feeling. That's religious. It unites me with you and with the cosmos as with... Ah. There you go. And goodbye, Senator. I'm really sorry. Really sorry. Really I am. Thanks for all you've done. It's made the world of difference to me. It's put me in touch with... Well... Yes. Just like to say thank you, Adam Roberts, for that short story. Don't forget, copyright is Adam Roberts. Check out links on the website to Adam's site. And also that short story, another one by Adam Roberts, coming soon. I know if I can get some more off Adam, I'll certainly try. Narration today for that story was by our good friend, Mr. Kenny Park. And I tell you what, Kenny, <laughs> if I had known you could do that so well... I wouldn't have slept next to you in a bloody Paris hotel. I think you put too much. There was too much of you coming out there. I was thinking, oh, that sounds so like, oh, oh, you hit that story right on the mark for me. 
shivers down the spine and everything. I think he got a bit carried away with that, yes. Releasing some sort of tension there, Kenny, I think. Some pent-up tension. It was fantastic. What a great reading that was. So I have sent some more to Kenny Park. And don't forget, Kenny Park was the cameraman extraordinaire on the Michael Moorcock video. So Kenny, thank you very much for that. Next week, come on to the Michael Moorcock story, the Jerry Cornelius one. And I'm not even going to introduce Michael Moorcock. I think we all know who now who this great man is. And if you don't, check out last week's show because Starship Sofa interviewed Michael Moorcock. And there's a video to accompany it as well. And there's actually, I want to just say a big thank you to Gareth Stack for getting this story done. Actually, I've had this story for a while now, and if you, people remember, I mentioned that Kieran was supposed to do it, and Kieran lost it on his computer. It's half was half done, and Kieran couldn't find it, didn't know where the hell it was. And I didn't know if like the Moorcock video and the interview was coming out last week, so I've kind of hung on to this story and hung on to it, and then it looked like it was going ahead. I thought, God, I should really put that story out. I just know Gareth has got a great talent for voices. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, he's fantastic with them. And I thought, oh, that'll be great. I'll get Gareth to do this. Little did I know it was going to be so close to the mark. And I'm joking. It's what time's now? It is now on a Wednesday morning. It is nine o'clock. Gareth emailed his story complete and done at, I think it might have been ten past four this morning. He has worked through the night to get this story done. I just think, Gareth, thank you so much for that. So, as a, like, a bonus, please, everyone, pop over to Gareth's site. Links on the site and check out his new novel. <laughs> That's all I can do, Gareth, to say thank you. I just, like, it was, I'm totally, like, gobsmacked by the kind of the effort the lad put in. So, Gareth, thank you very much for that. And it is a cracking reading. <laughs> So, without further ado, the Starship Sofa presents The Spencer Inheritance, a Jerry Cornelius story by Michael Moorcock. 1. Leave me alone. I mean, once or twice I've heard people say to me that, you know, Diana's out to destroy the monarchy. Why would I want to destroy something that is my children's future? Diana, Princess of Wales, TV interview, November 1995. Oh, cool. This... With all his old enthusiasm, Shaky Moe bit into his footlong. Is what I call a hot dog? His bearded lips winked with mustard, ketchup and gelatinous cucumber. Things are looking up, close enough, in the cramped confines of the Ford Flame Fang Mark IV to suffer the worst of Moe's fallout. Jerry Cornelius still felt a surge of affection for his little pard. Moe was back on form, an MK-55 on his hip, and righteous mayhem in his eyes. He was all relish again, mounting the ruins of St. John's Wood Whataburger, their armoured half-track rounded a tank trap, bounced over a speed bump, and turned erratically into Abbey Road. Bugger! Moe's dog had gone all over the place. It's chaos out there! Major Nye fixed a pale and amiable blue eye in the middle distance. Neat grey hairs ran like furrows across his tanned old scalp. His sinewy body had been so long in the sun, it was half mummified. They were heading for Hampstead, where they hoped to liaise with some allies and carry on up the M1 to liberate their holy relics in the name of their dead liege, who had died reluctantly at Lavender Hill. The old soldier's steering was light and flexible, 
but sometimes it threatened to overturn them. Glancing back across his shoulder, he voiced all their thoughts. This is going to be a good war, what? At least we got a chance to leave some mines this time. Colonel Hira brushed a scarlet crumb from his chocolate fatigues and adjusted his yellow turban. Only Hira wore the official uniform of the UPS. The United Patriotic Squadrons of the Blessed Diana Armoured Vehicles Division were famous for their eccentric but influential style, their elaborate flags. Those Caroline bastards will think twice before taking their holidays in Dorset again? A saccharine tear graced Bishop Beasley's flurried cheek. Seeming independent, like toon characters, his fingers grazed at random over his face. From time to time, he drew the tips to his lips and tasted them. Surely this is no time for cynicism. His wobbling metre gave clerical emphasis to his plea. We're experiencing the effects of world will. We are helpless before a massive new mythology being created around us, and of which we could almost be a part. This is the race mind expressing itself. His massive jowls drooped with sincerity. Can't we share a little common sentiment? He squeezed at his right eye to taste another tear. Our sweet patroness died for our right to plant these mines. And so a effin siblings could spray us with the AIDS virus in the name of preserving national unity. This was Moe's chief grievance. He was afraid he would turn out positive, and everyone would think he was an effin fudgebacker, like Jerry and the rest of them half-tuned pianos. Don't go forgetting that, he added, a little mysteriously. Private money blows us up, public money patches us up. Only an idiot of a capitalist would want to change that status quo. This is an old-fashioned civil war. A class war. Major Nye disagreed. We're learning to live in a world without poles. Anti-Semitic bastards. Mo frowned down at his weapon. They deserve all they got. Are we there yet? The cramped cab was making Jerry claustrophobic. I think I'm going to be sick. Two. Our grief is so deep. When people are dying, they're much more open... And much more vulnerable and much more real than other people. And I appreciated that. Diana, Princess of Wales. TV interview, November 1995. The convoy managed to get as far as Swiss Cottage before a half dozen of the latest 10 by 10 extra-sampled Morris Wolverines came surfing over the rubble towards them. The hulls of the pocket land cruisers shone like pewter. The style leaders in all sides of the conflict, their streamlining was pure 1940s futurist. Their firepower, from the single pointed muzzle of a Necky 450LS, was the classiest ordnance available. Those laser shells could go up your arse and take out a particular pile if they wanted to. It was just that kind of aggressive precision styling which people were looking for these days. But can it last, Mr. C? Shaky Mo was taking the opportunity to retouch some of their burned paint. The fresh cerise against the camouflage gave the car the look of a drunk in the last stages of psoriasis. Moe ignored the approaching squadron almost until the final moment. Then, nonchalant, he swung into his gunnery perch, pulled the safety lid down behind him, settled himself into the orange inner tube he used to ease his lower back, flipped a few toggles, swung his twin Lewises from side to side with the heel of his hand to check their readiness, pushed up the sights, tested the belts, 
and put his thumbs to the firing button. A precise and antique burst. The rubble between their ford and the rank of Savvy Morrises suddenly erupted and clouds billowed. A wall of debris rose for at least twenty feet and then began to settle in simple geometric patterns. Here's some we laid earlier, pads. Mo began to cackle and shriek. Following this precedent, ash rained across Kelmscott and all the Morris memorials. Ancient pre-Raphaelites were torn apart for scrap, their bones ground for colour, their blood feeding the sand. It became the fashion to dig up poets and painters and own a piece of them. No grave was safe. Everyone knew that such gorgeous paint was wasted in the cement of heritage. Heritage parks. Cemeteries. Jerry did the best with his associations. Why was it wrong to resist their well-meaning intentions? What secrets could they possibly learn? Nothing which would embarrass me, of course, for I am dead. But secrets of the fields and hedges, eh? Yes, I've found them. It's easy with my own eyes. Or was. Secrets in old stones, weakened by the carving of their own runes and the casting of dissipate magic. Desolate churches, standing on cold ground which once raced with energy. Why is there such a cooling of this deconsecrated earth? Has the ether been leached of its goodness by swaggering corporate capital, easing and wheezing its fat bodies through the corridors of privilege, the rat holes of power? Help me. Help me. Help me. Are you incapable of ordinary human emotion? Or has that been simulated too? Or stimulated you by its very nearness? Yet somewhere I can still hear your despairing liet motifs, messages addressed to limbo, your yearning for oblivion. You sang such lovely, unrepeatable songs. You sang such Puritan hopes. But you were never held to account. Blameless. You were blameless only in the minds of the impure. Of the impure, I said, but not the unworthy. For this is Babylon where we live. Babylon where we live. This is Babylon, said Mr. Big. What, Mr. B? Did you speak? Only inside these days, Mrs. C. For I am dead, and my loyalties are to the dead. I no longer have desire to communicate with the living. Only you, Mrs. C. Only good old Mrs. C. Murdering the Opposition It is a last resort. He came up that morning, he said, from Scunthorpe. Or was it Skegness? You know, don't you? The last resort. Don't blame me. You're on your own in this one, I said. Nobody calls on me for a report. Oh, good Lord, sweet Lord, let me go. There's work to be done yet. You don't know the meaning of pain. She looked over my head. She looked over my head the whole time she spoke. Her eyes and voice were in the distance. You may never know it, she said. You could die and never know it. And that's my prayer. Loud enough for you, Jerry? Loud enough? She asked. There's an aesthetic in loudness itself. Or so we think. Can you hear me, Jerry? Jerry? An anesthetic, he said. Oh, this turning multiverse is in reverse. And whirling chaos sounds, familiar patterns in the shifting round. Yet still they take the essence from our common ground. They take our public spirit from our common ground. We become subject to chills and bronchial seizures. Now we are paying the price given that prize. 
severed those ties, those hampering second thoughts, those night rides, down to where the conscience still pipes, a piccolo, still finds a little resonance amongst the ailing reeds, some unrooted truth left to die down there. Can you hear it? Loyal to the end, loyal to your well-being, wanting nothing else. Can you hear it? Still piping a hopeful note or two, all for you. You must be fucking desperate, she said. The Sci-Fi Channel Our ministers are proud to announce the restoration of the English car industry. Record sales of light-armoured vehicles has made this a boom year for our automakers. Bonuses all round, says Tony Flair, our golden age PM. Let's give ourselves a pat on the back. The domestic arms trade has stimulated the domestic car trade. The economy has never been stronger. We are killing two bards with one stone. Look at America. That's their lifeblood, right? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I mean, what have I done? I mean, why? I mean, you know why. I mean, you know. Came out of the West. Out of the Grey West. Where the sea runs and my blood is at ease. And this is where I rest. 3. Was Diana murdered? International crime syndicates are cheating Princess Diana's memorial fund with pirate versions of Elton John's Candle in the Wind. Illegal copies of the song performed at the princess's funeral are undercut by up to 250 and have been found in Italy, Hong Kong, Singapore and Paraguay. Profits will fund the drugs and arms trade. Daily Bulletin, Mallorca, 26 September 1997. Garden carriages. Major Nye lowered puzzled glasses. Dozens of them, piled across Fitzjohn Avenue. Where on earth are they getting them? Behind their battered Ford, the smoking aluminium of the Morrises fused and seethed, buckling into complex parodies of Paolozzi's sculptures. Abandoning his Lewises, Moe had used a musical strategy aimed at their attackers' over-refined navigational circuits. A few Gene Vincent singles in the right registers and the enemy had auto-destructed. It used to be glamorous dying in a crash, but the 90s did with auto-death what Oasis did with the Beatles. They took an idiom to its dullest place. This wasn't suicide. It wasn't even assassination. It was ritual murder. How can they confuse the three? It was the triumph of the lowest common denominator. The public aren't fools. Don't you think we all sensed it? Finchley's trees had gone for fuel. Its leafy authority removed, the avenue had the air of an exposed anthill. Ankle-deep in sawdust, people clustered around the stumps, holding branches and leaves, as if through osmosis they might somehow restore their cover. They had no spiritual leadership. As Jerry and Co. rumbled past, waving, playing snatches of patriotic music and distributing leprous bars of recovered Toblerone, they lifted their rustling limbs in dazed salute. These places are nothing without the foliage. Mo lit his Shermans. The deadly oils released their aromatic smoke into the cab. Everyone but Jerry took an appreciative sniff. Jerry was still having trouble with his convulsions. He had developed a range of allergies with symptoms so unusual they had not yet hit the catalogues. This made him a valuable target for drug company goons, always on the lookout for the clinically exceptional. 
new diseases, needed new cures. But he was not prepared to sell his new diseases to just anyone. There were ethical considerations. This was, after all, the cusp of the millennium. There were matters of public interest to consider. The golden age of corporate piracy was gone. We were all developing appropriate pieties. Mournfully, Bishop Beasley saw he was on his last Mars megapack. Yet, compulsively, he continued to eat. Rhythmically, the chocolate disappeared into his mouth, leaving only the faintest trails. They slipped like blood down his troubled jowls. Seen anything from the old baroness at all? Most scarcely heard him. He was buried in some distant song. You made me the age of the predatory lad. I paid you well. What price victory now, Mrs. C? A. Jerry was still preoccupied with his physical feelings. He lifted his legs and howled. 4. Das war Diana. I'm not a political animal, but I think the biggest disease this world suffers from in this day and age is the disease of people feeling unloved. Diana, Princess of Wales. TV interview, November 1995. Hampstead Heath was a chaos of churned mud and tortured metal, given exotic beauty by the movement of evening sunlight through lazy grey smoke. In the silence a few bustling ravens cawed. Hunched on blasted trees, they seemed profoundly uneasy. Perhaps the character of the feast upset their sense of the natural order. They were old, conservative birds, who still saw some kind of virtue and harmony. The house the team occupied had a wonderful view all the way across the main battlefield. Its back wall had received two precise hits from an LB-7. The body of the soldier who had been hiding behind the wall was now under the rubble. Only his feet remained exposed. Mo had already removed the boots and was polishing them appreciatively with the previous owner's cherry blossom. He held them up to the shifty light. Look at the quality of that leather, the bastards. He was upset. He had been convinced that the boots would fit him. You turn people into fiction, and you get shocked when they die real deaths. Little Trixie Brunner, never less than smart, had agreed to meet them here with the remains of her squadron. Bastards? Clinging vaguely, her mother drooled viciously at her side. Lady Brunner was having some trouble staying alive. Trixie lifted disapproving lips. Mum! The infusions weren't working anymore. Uncomfortably wired, Lady B muttered and buzzed to herself, every so often fixing her bleak eyes upon some imagined threat. Maybe death himself. Jerry was trembling as usual. His mouth opened and closed rapidly. Lady Brunner smiled suddenly to herself, as if recalling her old power. Eh? She began to cackle. Trixie let out a sigh of irritated piety. Mother! Until a month ago, Trixie had been Tony Flair's chief consort, and tipped for the premiership when her leader and paramour took the big step, which she had promised to do if he had not brought the nations of Britain to peace by the end of the year. He would join his predecessors in U.S. exile. It was the kind of example the British people now habitually demanded. Trixie, growing disapproving of Tony's policies, had uttered some significant leaks before siding with the Dionistas, whom she had condemned as upstart pretenders a week earlier. 
But at heart, she told them, she was still a flareite. She was hoping her actions would bring Tony or his deputy Danny to their senses. Until the rift of Peckham, they had supported the Dionist cause. She would still be a keen Dionista if those twin fools, the Earls of Spencer and of Marks, claiming Welsh heritage, hadn't allied themselves with the Black Stuarts and thus brought anarchy to Scotland. Rather than listen to all these heresies, her mother had stood in a corner putting pieces of Kleenex into her ears. One of her last acts in power was to make them both Knights of St. Michael. A shadow darkened the garden. Jerry was compelled to go outside and look up. Limping over low was the old Princess of Essex, her gold-black and fumed oak finish showing the scars of recent combat. Mo joined him. He gazed approvingly at the ship. She always had style, didn't she? he said reverently. Jerry blinked uncertainly. Style? Mo nodded slowly, confirming his own wise judgment. Class? Class. Jerry's attention was wandering again. He had found a faded hola and began to leaf through it. Which? For the last couple of centuries, Britain had seen her monarchs identify their fortunes first with the aristocracy, then with the upper middle class, then with the middle class, and ultimately with the petty bourgeoisie, depending who had the most power. No doubt they would soon appear on the screen, adopting the costumes and language of EastEnders. They were so adaptable they'd be virtually invisible by the end of the century. Style? What? Where? Essex? Mo pointed up. As if in response, the princess shimmied girlishly in the air. 5. Dodie Psychiatrist Tells All Those of us who met Diana can vouch for it, and the rest of us know it's true. She brought magic into all our lives, and we loved her for it. She'll always be what she wanted to be, the queen of our hearts. Diana, queen of our hearts, news of the world, special souvenir photo album, September 1997. It was then, Major Nye told Trixie Broomer, that I realised a lifetime of ambition and brought myself a good quality telescope with the object of fulfilling those two fundamental human needs, to spy on my neighbours and to look at the stars. But Simla seems a long time ago. I often wonder why they resented us so. After all, they didn't have a nation until we made them one. It was either us or some native Bismarck. Much better we should get the blame. I believe they used to call that paternalism. Trixie could not help liking this sweet old soldier. Quite right. Major Nye squared his jaw approvingly. His nasty locks bouncing, Moe swung round on the swivel gun seat. Can I ask you a personal question? Trixie adopted that open and agreeable expression which had become so fashionable just before the outbreak of armed hostilities. Of course, she said brightly. How much time do you spend actually making up? Not that long. She smiled as if she took a joke against her. It gets easier with practice. But about how long? Why do you ask? It would take me hours. Hardly half an hour. She softened. What about retouches? I really don't know. Say another half hour or so. What about clothes? I mean, you're always very nicely turned out. You mean getting dressed. And deciding what to wear and everything. Say you change two or three times a day. Well, it's not that long. You get used to it. An hour, two hours. Some days I hardly get out of my shirt and jeans. How long is a break in San Tropez? What do you mean, for me? A couple of weeks at a stretch at best. And how much time a day do you spend working for others? 
Trixie frowned. What do you mean, others? Well, you know, lepers and all that. That's hardly work, said Trixie. But it does involve turning up and posing. Major Nye patted her gentle shoulder. The public is very generous in its approval of the rich, he said. It's the poor they can't stand, said Mo. What I want to know is how many big-eyed children will starve to death because Kim the Stump got all the photo opportunities. Why isn't there more fucking anger? There's only so much charity to go round. And nothing like enough justice. Major Nye turned his chair towards the car's tiny microwave. Anyone fancy a cup of tea? He peered through one of the observation slits. A gentle mist was rolling over the picturesque ruins of Highgate. Marx's monument had sustained some ironic shelling. You could see all the way across the cemetery to Tufnell Park and beyond it to Camden, Somerstown, Soho and the Thames. It was a quiet morning. The gunfire was distant, lazy. Do you think it's safe to lower our armour? 6. Now you belong to heaven. Then, amazingly, the masses who had prayed and sung the hymns, wept deeply as the service floated over London, began to applaud. Once theirs had passed, each and every one of us went home alone. Leslie Thomas, News of the World, 7th September, 1997 Something in Jerry was reviving. He flipped through the latest auto-catalogues. He felt a twitch where his genitals might be. Rover Avengers, Jaguar Snarlers, Austin Attackers, Morris Wolverines, Hillman Hunters and Riley Reliance all sported the latest tasty fashions in firepower. Their rounded carapaces and tapering guns gave them the appearance of mobile phones crossed with surgical instruments. They were loaded with features. They were being exported everywhere. It made you proud to be British again. This was, after all, what you did best. But the politics of fashion was once again giving way to the politics of precedent. Jerry felt his stomach turn over. Was there any easy way of getting out of the past? 7. Diana's smile lit up Wembley. The world is mourning Princess Diana, but nowhere are the tears falling more relentlessly than in Bosnia. She met limbless victims of the landmines, but she did more than add another victim to her global crusade. She made a despairing people smile again. News of the World, September 7th, 1997. Thirty years and all these fuckers will be footnotes. Moe stood knee-deep in rubble, running his fingers over the keyboard of a compact he had found. The screen had beeped and razzled, but had eventually given him the net. Taking a swig from his Gemini, he lit himself a reefer and flipped his way through the Sunday Times. Do they only exist on Sundays? Four Sundays. Jerry was frowning down at a drop of machine oil which had fallen onto his cuff and was being absorbed into the linen. Do they exist for Sundays or do they appear any other days? Do they exist for Sundays or do they appear any other days? He was still having a little trouble with existence. We shouldn't have left him alone in the Prozac vault. Trixie Brunner brushed white powder from her perfect pants. You only need one a day. I was looking for extra balance, Jerry explained. He smiled sweetly through his wrinkling flesh. This isn't right, is it? Major Nye shook his head and pointed. Across the heaped bricks and slabs of broken concrete came a group of irregulars. They wore bandanas and fatigues, clearly influenced by Apocalypse Now. This made them dangerous enemies and flaky friends. 
Virtual Nam had taken them over. Jerry sized them up. Those people always went for the flashiest ordnance. He had never seen so many customized Burberries and pre-bloodstained Berber flak jackets. They had stopped, and in the accents of Staines and Hayward Heath, were calling a familiar challenge. For or against? They were Dionistas, but not necessarily of the same division. Mo cupped his hands and shouted, For! Major Nye looked around vaguely, as if for a ball. With lowered weapons, the group began to advance. Major Nye thought he recognised one of their number. Mrs. Pearson? Carefully, he checked his watches. Eight. Princes teach Charles to love again. Princess Diana was named yesterday as the most inspirational figure for Britain's gay community. The Bink Paper, a gay newspaper, said a pile of its readers placed Diana way ahead of people such as 19th century playwright Oscar Wilde, who was jailed for being homosexual, or tennis star Martina Navratilova. You never get a free ride, Mrs C. Sooner or later the bill turns up, as with our own blessed Madonna, for instance. All that unearned approval. Phew. Makes you think, eh? I was his valley, you know. Flash Gordon's lips formed soft, unhappy words. He was an interpreter attached to the Sloan Square Squadron. His raincoat was secure to the neck and padlocked. They had found him in some provincial prison. Up there. He was a gent through and through, though, but not exactly an intellectual. She was twice as bright as he, and she wasn't any Andrea Dworkin either. I wore the bonnet, as we say in Tanakhbray. Some days you could go mad with boredom. Being a flunky is a lot more taxing than people think. At least, it was for me. Weren't you afraid they'd find out about your past? Mo noted several old acquaintances amongst the newcomers. Not all of them yuppies. Well, I was a victim too, you know. Flash understood best how to comfort himself. Una person, stylish as ever in her military coat and dark divided pants, straddled the fire, warming her hands. Her pale oval face, framed by a brunette page boy, brooded into the middle distance. Don't buy any of that cheap American shit, she told Major Nye. Their tanks fall apart as soon as their own crappy guns start firing. Get a French one if you can. Here's a picture. She reached into her jacket. From Inter Avia. All the specifications are there. Oh, and nothing Chinese. What's wrong with the Chinese? asked Jerry. He lay beside the fire, staring curiously at her boot. Don't start that, she said firmly. But she answered him, addressing Mo. It's totally naff these days. Jerry never could keep in step. No free lunches, said Jerry proudly, as if remembering a lesson. No free lunches. Una person unslung her MK-50 and gave the firing mechanism her intense attention. As Mr. Blair's voice echoes into silence, Elton John gives his biggest ever performance. He opens with the first words, Goodbye England's Rose, of his rewritten version of one of Diana's favourite songs, Kendall in the Wind. Billions around the world sing with him and remember the loveliness we've lost. In Hyde Park, many watching on giant videos weep uncontrollably. It's not the speed that kills you. It's what's in the speed, right? Sagely shaky Mo contemplated his adulterated stash. You want to do something about that nose, Mr. C? Jerry dabbed at his face with the wet Kleenex Trixie had given him. For a few moments, he had bled spontaneously from all orifices. 
Better now. Bishop C looked up from the month-old mirror he had found. It was his first chance to read one of his own columns, God the Pal. He was getting along famously with the newcomers. They understood all about Christian relativism, consumer faith and fast-track salvation. They had read his choice in faith and other pamphlets. They were considering tempting him to transfer and become their padre. Trixie was even now involved in negotiations with her opposite number. They used the can as their unit of currency. Not having the stomach to finish them off, the Dionistas had brought a few of their better-looking prisoners with them. The Allies now stood, shoulder to shoulder, staring down at the foxhole they had filled with the cringing youngsters. Mo felt about inside his coat and came out with a small, clear glass medicine bottle whose top had been carefully sealed with wax. See that? He brandished the vial at the baffled prisoners. See that? You know what that is, do you? You fucking wouldn't know, would you? That, my dirty little Republican friends, is one of her tears. With his other hand, he unslung his weapon. As they heard the safeties click off, the half-starved boys and girls began to move anxiously in the trench, as if they might escape the inevitable. She fucking wept for you, you fuckers. Mo's eyes shone with reciprocal salt. You fucking don't deserve this. But she understood compassion, even if you don't. The big multi-fire MKO made deep, throaty noises as it sent explosive shells neatly into each tender body. They arced, twitched and were still. Nobody had had to spend much energy on it. It was a ritual everyone had come to understand. Mo slung the smoking gun onto his back again. You want to search them? He winked at Trixie. I haven't touched the pockets. His visionary eyes looked away into the distance. Killing always heightened his sense of time. Bishop Beasley murmured over the corpses while Trixie slipped into the trench and collected what she wanted. It was a culture of self-deception, he said. Trixie pulled herself up through the clay. Isn't that the definition of a culture? Apologising for the effect of the cold weather, Bishop Beasley urinated discreetly into the pit. Jerry turned away. He was asking himself a novel question. Was everything going too far? 10. Reflexivity Last Sunday, a light went out that illuminated the world. Nothing would turn it back on. The death of Princess Di, the fairy tale princess, the human royal, left us all totally stunned. I am not a Johnny-come-lately to sing the praises of our magical princess... Unlike many others who now describe her in such glowing terms, but certainly did not during her life, I have again and again expressed my love for Diana. When I got some readers' letters knocking her, I was saddened. I wonder how they and all the grey men who put her down feel now. The people have spoken. Michael Winner, News of the World, September 7th, 1997 Islands within islands... That's the British for you. The on Trixie Bell had long since given up on her race. It was her one regret that she had not been born a continental. Her mother still shuddered if the word was mentioned. Their convoy had broken through to the M1. Although heavily pitted and badly repaired, the motorway was still navigable. It left them more exposed, but it had been a while since any kind of aircraft had been over. Several friendly and unfriendly air forces were abroad, on hire to continental corporations. It was the only way to raise enough money to pay for the quality of artillery they demanded. We have to learn, PM Flair had announced over the radio, that we 
only have so many options. Economics is, after all, the root of most warfare. We can have guns and butter, but we can't have aircraft carriers and the latest laser scopes. It makes sense, really. Only you, the warriors in this great cause, can decide what you need most. And if you tell us what you need, we will listen. I guarantee that. Unfortunately, I am not responsible for the failings of my predecessors, who set up the supply systems and who were as unrighteous as I am righteous. But we'll soon have the engine overhauled and back on the road, as it were, before Christmas. I have long preached the gospel of personal responsibility, so you may rest assured that I will keep this promise or take the big step in the attempt. Thank you. God bless. There were seven weeks left to go. By now, the people's PM would probably be praying for a miracle. Ladbrokes and the stock exchange were setting all kinds of unhelpful odds. Jerry himself had not ruled out divine intervention. Surely something was in control. It's not that long since you were collateral yourself, Mr. C. Mo attempted to revive his friend's self-respect. I remember when your corpse was the hottest commodity on the market. Long ago... The old assassin contemplated his own silver age. Far away. Obsolete icons, failed providers. Lost servers. Scarcely an elegy, Miss Scarlet. Hardly worth blacking up for. Government by lowest common denominator. A true market government. Poets have been mourning this century ever since it began. Anyway, how would I remember? I was dead. As good as... Una Person settled a slim, perfect reefer into her holder and fished her Meredith from her top pocket. Her elegant brown bob swung to the rhythm of the half-track's rolling motion, and Jerry had a flash, a memory of passion. But it hurt him too much to hang on to. He let it go. Bile rose into his mouth, and he leaned again over the purple Liberty's bag. Something was breaking up inside him, mirroring the social fractures in the nation. He was nothing without his guidelines. The disintegration had been going on for many years, and was now accelerating as everyone had predicted. Was he the only one who had planned for this? Had all the others lost their nerve in the end? He stared around him, trying to smile. Either stop that, or pass me a bag. Here we go. Ignoring the twisting and buckled signs which sought to misdirect them, they turned towards Long Buckley and their ideal. At some time in the past couple of years, some vast caravan of traffic had come this way, flattening the borders and turning the slip road into a crude highway, reminding Jerry of the deep reindeer paths he had once followed in Lapland, when he had still thought he could find his father. He had found only an abandoned meteorological post, with some photographs of his mother, when she had been in the chorus. Her confident eyes, meeting Jerry's across half a century, had made him weep. A relatively unblemished sign ahead read, Welcome to the Sherwood Experience. Sheriff of Nottingham Security Post, next three miles. No admittance without Merry Man Guide. Robin Hood's Forest and Feudal Feuding Vior. One price family ticket value. I told you we were near Nottingham. Mo sniffed. There's nothing like that smell anywhere else in the world. God, it makes you hungry. Takes you back a bit, eh? said Major Nye. Now this, of course, is where an off-road vehicle proves herself. 
The delicate veins on his hands quivered and tensed as he found his gears. Isn't it still relatively unspoiled? Trixiebel tried to take the bib from her mother who clung to it, glaring and mumbling. Lady Brunner's lunchtime pap was caked all over her face and chest. The heartland of England, where our most potent legends are nurtured. That's crap, dear, said Una. The only thing nurtured around here is two thousand years of ignorance and prejudice. So she's right? Colonel Hera rubbed softly at his buttocks. The heartland of England? Fucking Tories, said Moe. Right on. Colonel Hera's chubby fist jabbed the overhead air. Haven't you forgotten how fucking concerned, caring and multicultural the Conservatives really were, Colonel? The on Trixie Bell was furious. One more crack like that and you'll be whistling Mammy. I thought you were with the other lot. Major Nye was puzzled. Trixie made an edgy gesture. She hated argument. It was so hard to tell who really had the power these days. That doesn't mean I can't see all sides. Laughing, Jerry coughed something up. As best they could, the others shifted away from him. It was getting crowded in the steel-plated cab. The heat was unseasonal. What was going wrong with the weather? Greenhouse. We have to get back to Kew. Kew? Mo cheered up. He had always tried to avoid the Midlands. Kew? Trixie shook a vehement head. Kew? Never again. Kew, said Jerry. Kew. Kew. You should get that looked at. From the shadows under the instrument panel, Bishop Beasley surfaced. You could infect us all. Everyone was staring at him. They had believed him gone off with the renegades. He adjusted his mitter. He shrugged his cassock straight and took a firm grip on his crook. There were small unsettled differences, he explained. In the end, I could not in conscience take another appointment. My place is with you. But you've wolfed the supplies, said Mo. There was hardly anything left, the bishop was all reassurance. Hardly a bite, nor a sniff. I wish I could tell you otherwise. A little jam would have been welcome, but no. These are harsh conditions, and a church must find resources to meet them. I suggest that we pick up our holy charge and proceed directly to Coventry, where negotiations are already in progress. They're well known to have enormous stockpiles. His mouth foamed with anticipatory juices. Round trees, Cadbury's, Terry's, everything... Warehouses worthy of Joseph. Coventry's the soft option? Moe found the butt of his Monteverdi. Contemptuously, he stuck it into his mouth. You want chocks, Bishop? We should go to York. It's the obvious place. They always make the highest bids on this stuff. Stuff? Bishop Beasley was outraged. Is that any way to speak of such holy remains? The church's motives, Mr. Collier, if not yours, are of the highest... Coventry is much closer. Moreover, the bishop there is well disposed for us. Did you hear what the bishop of York had to say? Idolatry, he says. Step into the 21st century, divine colleagues, I say. But when all the dust settles, security is our chief concern, as I'm sure it's yours. We should never forget that ours is above all a profoundly spiritual quest. Oh, for God's sake, a Christ... Accidentally, Trixie had put her hand into Jerry's jerking crotch. Jerry's lips gave an odd spasm. Come again. 11. Prince Harry to meet the Spice Girls Earlier, just outside London, 
the earth had to stop before it joined the motorway so police could take away blooms from the windscreen. The flowers made a poignant mound on the yard shoulder. Once inside the Althorpe estate, Diana was laid to rest quietly and privately on an island set in a lake. Her day was over. News of the World, September 7, 1997 There were now some 40 armoured cars in various states of repair and about a 100 mixed troops on rickshaws, mopeds, bicycles, motorbikes, invalid carriages and milk floats. Fifteen horsemen wore the tattered uniforms of the household cavalry. They were spread out for almost 30 miles, with Jerry and Co. in the lead, creeping along the B604 to relieve the besieged manor of Althorpe. The radio message had described a good-sized army of combined reformed monarchists, conservative republicans, Stuarts, Tudors, Carolines, Gillamites, New Herovians, and original royalists, all united in their apostasy, their perverse willingness to diss the Madonna herself, camping around the walls like old queens. Phew, odd girls. It's a conspiracy, isn't it? Shaky Moe passed Trixie's dusted reefer back to her. I call you the country. You are the country, aren't you? You're running it, really, the old girl network. Your mum's their role model. Ah, Madonna's their goddess. A monstrous constituency, a vast regiment. Keep mum, Jerry giggled into his bag. Keep it dark, under your hat, close to your face. Baroness Brunner began to cackle again. It was high-pitched, some kind of alarm. Her hideous old eyes glared vacantly into his. It's all on the cards, lad, all in the tea leaves. Cards and tea leaves made up my entire cabinet for a while. That way I could control the future. Wonky. Jerry twitched again. It's all going wonky. I warned the wonkers. The old baroness sighed. Her work was over. She had no more energy. Where am I? Can I say wonkers? I told them it would go wonky. You can't say I was wrong. Independent of her words, her teeth began to clack slowly and rhythmically. She drew a scented cushion to her face. In vivid threads, the cushion bore the standing image of the Blessed Diana, with a magnificent halo radiating from around her blonde curls. Her arms stretched as if to hug the world in love, flanked by choirs of celebratory angels. There was some sort of Latin inscription, evidently embroidered by an illiterate hand. Jerry watched her breaking up. She was in worse shape than he was. She had spent far too much energy trying to get her predictions to come true. It made a shadow of you in no time. It had been the death of Mussolini and Hitler. That's what made most presidents and prime ministers old before their time. Memory was the first thing to go, which was embarrassing when you couldn't remember which secrets to keep. Jerry sighed. There wasn't a lot of doubt. Things were starting to wind down again. He shivered and drew up the collar of his mossy black car coat. Twelve. Two billion broken hearts. We think Diana was killed through drunken driving. We think. I think. But we do not know. I do not know. Every newspaper and news organisation, with the exception of the more excitable elements of the Arab media, has decided it was an easily explained crash. Lurid theories about her death abound on the internet, but that is the domain of students in anoraks, desperate, like the fundamentalist Muslims, to pin something on the Satans of the Western Security Services and their Imperial Masters. 
Yet people who read serious newspapers and watch serious television programs still have their doubts. Perhaps in this uncertain world, they need to find a perpetrator. They cannot accept that the most popular woman of her time was wiped out with her playboy lover in an ordinary car crash after a night at the Ritz. Chris Blackhurst, The Observer, October 1997 Are you sure it's not a lookalike or a wannabe? Suckling a purloined lolly, Trixie stared critically up at the slowly circling corpse. And he could be pretending to be dead. The swollen head, the eyes popping, the ears flaring, stared back at her, as if in outrage at her scepticism. Oddly, the silver paper crown his executioners had placed on his head gave the old contender a touch of dignity. We're going to have to burn him. Major Nye came up with his clipboard. He was counting corpses. Before his followers get hold of him, he's worth an army in that state. He paused to cast a contemplative and sympathetic eye over the former monarch. Poor old boy, poor old boy. The rest of the besiegers were either dead, dying, or sharing a common gibbet. By and large, the century hadn't started well for the monarchists. It looked like the Dionistas were going to be in full control of the accounts. Good riddance, the foul two-time ambassador. Mowat sat down comfortably in the grass with his back against the tree. He was cleaning his piece with a Q-tip. First he betrays his wife, then his mother, then his lover. He makes Richard III seem like St. Joan. He struck me as quite a decent, well-meaning sort of chap. Major Nye glanced mildly at his board. I don't think we want to hear any more of that sort of talk, do we, Major? Trixie had the high moral ground well sorted. He gave her a lovely funeral, said Bishop Beasley. That huge wreath on the hearse with Bob picked out of her favourite flowers. It made the craze seem cheap. A proper people send off. The man was a monster. Trixie firmly held her spin. The prince of evil, the demon king. That's all you need to remember. But what of the web? Una came walking through with a scalp pole she had liberated from the Shire Protection Association. Can you control that too? Like a spider. Trixie's words were set in saliva. She tasted her own bile as if it were wine. In a moment they would achieve the culmination of all she had ever dreamed. They're getting a raft ready to go to the island, said Una. I knew you'd want to be there at the moment they dug her up. Trixie quivered. You realise this will give us power over the whole fucking world, don't you? It goes round and round. Una put her scalps into Jerry's willing right hand. Hold on to these for a bit. And come with me. They stumbled over the ruins of the manor, over the remains of tents and makeshift defences. Crows were coming down in waves. Parts of the battlefield were thick with heaving black feathers. It had been impossible in the end to save either the attackers or the defenders, but the island, by general consent, had not been badly shelled. They arrived at the lakeside. A raft of logs and oil cans was ready for them. Good lord! Bishop Beasley gestured with a distasteful crunchy. That water is filthy. Thank heavens we don't have to swim across. There's all sorts of horrors down there. What do people do? Sacrifice animals? It's our duty to take her out of all this. Mo picked up a long pole and frowned. Clearly the family no longer has the resources. Stepping onto the swaying boards, Trixie Brunner assumed that familiar air of pious concern. So we must shoulder the burden now until we can get her into safe hands. That's all changed. Bishop Beasley chuckled at his own misunderstanding. 
I thought it was the Godiva headquarters. She almost went to Brussels. But we've had a lovely offer from Liverpool. Which we're not going to take. Trixie's sniff seemed to make him shrink. Ten times her boxed weight in generic licorice all sorts. That's pathetic. You're thinking too parochially, Bishop. Don't you realise we have a world market here? She's right. Una began to pull them over the water. America, Russia, China, wherever there's money. And the Saudis would buy her for other reasons. It's a seller's market. Russell Stover, Hershey's. Convinced, the bishop had begun to make a list. Periot Gormand, my honeys taste a lot of licorice. Thoughtfully, he popped the last of his Uncle Ben's mint balls into his mouth. Sarah Lee, Knotsbury Farm, Schmuckers, America, land of sugar, land of honey, land of sweetness, land of money. His sigh was vast and anticipated contentment. Sharp. 13. We'll win the World Cup for Diana. The royal family often seems to behave in ways which could actually be called unpatriotic, and their denial of Diana, the world's sweetheart, was the biggest betrayal of all. But then, what can you expect from a bunch of Greeks and Germans? Her brave, bright, brash life will forever cast a giant shadow over the sickly bunch of bullies who call themselves our ruling house. We'll always remember her. Coming home for the last time to us, free at last, the people's princess, not the Windsors. We'll never forget her, and neither will they. Julie Birchall, News of the World, September 7, 1997. We might have guessed the yellow press would be here first. Trixie had the air of one who was glad she had anticipated the right makeup for an unexpected situation. She glared furiously down into the empty grave. Who are you calling yellow? Frank Cornelius brushed dark earth from his cords. Anyway, I wasn't here first, obviously. His features had a blighted look, as if he had suffered severely from Greenfly. But you know who was, don't you? Una Person poked impatiently at him with her long-barreled navy coat. She had chosen it because the brass and cherry wood went best with her coat, but it was a bugger to load. That earth's still fresh, and the coffin looks recently opened. Bishop Beasley was shattered. He sat on the edge of the empty grave, licking the wrapping of his last rollo. This is sacrilege, Mo paced about and gestured. I mean, it's inconceivable. As usual at times like these, Cherry had risen to the occasion. I think we're going to have to torture you for a bit, he told his brother, to get the information we need. That won't be necessary, Jer. Frank's smile was unsure. Yes, it will, said Jerry. It was all legit, Frank spoke rapidly. The upkeep of the site was tremendously draining, as you can imagine. After the old Earl went down outside South Africa House at the Battle of Trafalgar Square, there was a bit of a hiatus. The surviving family has responsibilities to its living members, after all. They brought a cop to town while you were shelling the house. She'll be in Switzerland in an hour or two. Procter and Gamble have acquired the cloning rights. This is democracy in action. Think of it. Soon, anyone who can afford one gets one. Charities will snap them up. Live! Oh, Jerry, this is what we've dreamed of. Of course, she doesn't actually belong to the people anymore. She's a corporate property. It's Princess Diana, TM, from now on. A duly controlled subsidiary. People's Princess, Kiev, PLC, own all the copyrights and stuff, but there'll be more than enough of her to go around. Charity gets a percentage of those rights, too. PP are a company with compassion. Their chairman's a notorious wet. 
I wish you'd tell us all this after we've tortured you, said Jerry. Frank sank to his knees. Sorry, he said. You're fucking sorry. Moe unhitched his big shooter, unsnapping the safeties, going to ribbon fire and pulling the trigger in one fluid, chattering movement which cut Frank's head from his body. It bounced into the grave and rested in the desecrated mud, looking up at them with mildly disappointed eyes. A groan came out of the torso as it slumped onto the stone. Blood soaked the granite. Loose cannon? Moe seemed to be apologising. Jerry was getting pissed off. He rounded on Trixie Bell. I told you this was strictly cash. I should have got it from you up front, and now this little bastard's robbed me of my one consolation. But Trixie had been thinking. Wait here. Come with me, Moe. She began to tramp through the mud towards their raft. She boarded it, and Moe pulled his way to the shore. While Una Person did something with the grave, Jerry squatted and watched the on Trixie. She and Mo walked up the shore to where they had parked their Ford Flamefang. Una came to stand beside Jerry, and she too studied Trixie, and Mo watched as they dragged old Baroness B from the cab. Trixie's mother made peculiar stabbing motions in the air, but otherwise did not resist. Her teeth were half out of her mouth, and her wig was askew, but the worst was that noise that came from her mouth, that grating whine which people would do anything to stop. In her heyday, men and women of honour had agreed to appalling compromises just so that they might not have to hear her utter that sound again. Even after Trixie had stuffed her mother's moth-eaten wig into the rattling mouth, the old girl kept it up all the way back to the island. Jerry was beginning to realise that his recovery was temporary. He reached for his purple bag and looked on while Trixie and the rest bundled the noisy old woman into the coffin and tacked the lid back on. There were some unpleasant scratching noises for a bit. Then they knew peace at last. It's a pity we didn't have one of those gun carriages. Mo was polishing the top. They won't know the difference in Coventry. Trixie pushed Jerry towards their car. Check the raft. Have a route round. We'll need all the bungie cords we can get for this one. Once we get to the car, she'll have to go on the roof. I'm not sure of the wisdom of deceiving the church. Bishop Beasley fingered himself in unusual places. Where does devotion end and sacrilege begin? Don't be ridiculous. Trixie started to haul the coffin back through the mud towards the waiting raft. At the waterside, Jerry and Una took it over from her. She paused, catching her breath. Nobody can go further than the great British public, besides Mum's an authentic relic in her own right. Surely she's well worth a lorry full of smarties. It'll be the muscle we need to get us out of trouble. And if she's still alive when they open the box, they've got an authentic miracle. Who loses? A deal's a deal, vicar. Any port in a storm. Isn't modern life all about responding appropriately to swiftly changing situations? And isn't the church all about modern life? Besides, Mo gestured in the direction of the real world. We haven't got much choice. We're going to have to buy petrol. Well, said the bishop, we'd best not tell the men. We'll divvy up after Coventry, shay? This began a fresh round of intense bargaining. There is another alternative. Nobody was listening to Mo. He shrugged and stepped down towards the raft. But I understood I would receive part of my share in confectionery. Bishop Beasley was close to panic. At a signal from Una, Jerry helped Mo board, then loosed the mooring rope. He and Mo began to pull rhythmically through the detritus towards the bank. It was some minutes before Trixie and the bishop noticed what was happening 
and by then Mo and Una were loading the coffin onto the roof, while Jerry got the Ford's engine going. Now Church and State will have time to establish a deeper and more meaningful relationship. Una opened her Diana of the Crossways and began comparing it to her charts. Someone has to preside over the last rites of that unsatisfactory century. After his brief flurry of energy, Jerry was winding down again. It suited me. Major Knives' face appeared at the window slit. He was puffing a little. Hope you don't mean to leave me behind, old boy. Can't afford to, Major. Una's spirits were lifting. We need you to drive. Climb aboard. As Major Nye's legs swung in, Jerry shifted to let the old man get into the seat. The others settled where they could. The cab had not been cleaned, and the smell of vomit was atrocious. From overhead on the roof there came a faint, rhythmic thumping, which was drowned as Major Nye put the car into gear and Moe took his place in the gunnery saddle. Their followers limping behind, they set off towards Coventry, singing patriotic songs and celebrating the anticipated revolution. All in all, Jerry sank back into his slacks and rolled himself a punishing reefer. It's been a tasty episode, but it won't go down too well in the provinces. I'm beginning to believe this has been a poor career move. Market forces are poorly unique. What would I know, I say? What would I know? I am dead and a friend of the dead. We get no respect these days. Again, copyright is Mr. Michael Moorcock. Michael, thank you very much for that story. It was actually Mike Moorcock that actually got us started in doing these oral delights, giving us the five stories in, to begin with. So there, it's all down to Mike Moorcock. Gareth, what a star. Thank you so much. Honestly, it is so appreciated. Do you want another one? <laughs> so that's it for today. Apart from announcements and everything like that, <laughs> we didn't have a fact article today, so I haven't got one, so I couldn't put it up, but there will be them in the future. Don't worry about that. If anybody is interested in writing a fact article, do you know, if you're working somewhere kind of exciting or unusual, and, you know, you want to maybe tell everyone about it, please drop us an email, starshipsofa at gmail.com. If you're interested in narrating stories for the Starship Sofa, you know, Male, female, anything. It's actually best just to get in touch with us, you know. Nice to have UK male narrators, but please, by all means, US narrators as well. Starshipsofa.gmail.com Don't forget the website, starshipsofa.com Check out, please check out the back shows, do you know what I mean? If you ever want to listen to a certain writer or read a certain writer, we might have covered him there in the back shows. Go to the shop and browse away. So on to the kind of the back shows, not the back shows, the sad the show. Well, do you know, like I say, I have had, and I'm still getting, and it's like fantastic. I'm getting, it's like, it's like I've got friends. Do you know what I mean? Billy, no friends normally. And I'm, like, I'm getting so many kind of emails regarding kind of the sad the show and, you know, like advice and help and offers like that. And still today, you know what I mean? Still getting them. And it's amazing. Do you know what I mean? I am just so touched by this offer. But I'm kind of still hitting a bit of a wall with this sad the show. Do you know what I mean? Every, and I think it's maybe momentum. I think it's, I've hit kind of one thing I have discovered about this sad the show is, and what's stopping me 
quite a bit is the revision. Do you know what I mean? I don't mind getting the notes, you know what I mean, and, and searching and listening to maybe stories like that. But when, it's, when you've got all these, like, 60 pages of notes, you know what I mean? Because sometimes it, it runs them kind of figures and kind of highlighting things and thinking, right, I'll say that, I'll say that. It's that, that kind of... And that's, I think that's a kind of trait from my education. Do you know what I mean? I didn't do it, didn't like it. Play it out. You know, so maybe that's got something to do with it. So if, there will still be the odd one where kind of I, I look at an author and I go kind of in-depth and, you know, do a basic show on the author. I don't know when and how that's going to work in the kind of frequency of things. I've just, and I would like to do J.J. Ballard. I've just listened to The Drowned World. And if anyone hasn't read that book, wow, that is a kind of stunning one. That's in the kind of Masterworks collection as well. So I would like to cover him, you know, and there's still some of the big greats I've got to kind of hit. And it might, the saddest show, doing the author thing, might turn into maybe once a month. I have no idea. But what I'm actually quite excited about is really bringing the two shows together. And this is kind of the idea I've been floating around with and asking a few people to help out with, is having kind of more of a... And a roundtable discussion on the kind of stories we, we do over on the, this kind of this actual night on the oral delights night, oral oral delights, oral delights night, and you know incorporating that on the Saturday show. So I've had a good chat you know, with Fred, my good friend Fred, and I'm trying to get Amy Sturgis on board and maybe Grant as well, and maybe a couple of others, you know, and maybe bring it all into kind of a, a total discussion. Where there doesn't have to be that much kind of research into it, do you know what I mean? Into like a certain author, and maybe I, I don't know how this would work. You know, maybe have like because we'll have to have set times to do it. So I'm thinking maybe get it up on live on Ustream as well. So if anyone can watch, just watch me sit at the computer desk talking to Fred. Maybe that's exciting. But. Also, you know, maybe do it as like a, a phone, like a live phone in. Now I haven't got a clue how that's going to work. If anyone's out there, I can sort that out for us. But that's the kind of the areas it's it's going in. Do you know what I mean? Maybe bring it into kind of a roundtable discussion where it just kind of and it doesn't have to be like heavy and deep. Do you know what I mean? It's just chatting about the kind of stories. Do you like them? Do you not? And hopefully that'll kind of bring me out of this kind of revision doldrums kind of thing where I can just really chat to friends you know talking about still science fiction you know because we've got some cracking stories coming up you know and Grant's actually going to build like some sort of online database and I'm thinking I wonder if I should kind of open up this database so everyone can have a look at it and see what the stories have got you know and maybe comment on them before they actually go up online you know there's a thought just thought of that one by the way so yes there you go we will see how it goes. There will not be a show on Saturday because I did one on Saturday with the Michael Moorcock one. I'm just kind of getting, gathering my thoughts and, you know, working this out. So, and it'll probably be every other week, maybe, until we get our feet under the table. You know, we've got like people in total different time zones. You know, there's Grant there. Grant's in New Zealand. Fred's in America. I'm in UK. God knows the, way, the logistics of kind of get that sorted. So we're going to try. And I'm still going ahead with the other show. That's the one, if no one knows about, is where I'm kind of just going to do it for really, for me, and a thank you for the monthly donation, people. If anyone wants to kind of pop over to the monthly donations and sign up, you know, £2.50, please, by all means. I'm going to start that very, very soon. And you can listen to more of me on the kind of just me. Do you know what I mean? Me taking... I don't know what to excite about me taking the dogs, but me on thoughts on getting the show ready. Might even have, like, kind of 
like a business meeting, if you could say, with Grant. You know, and we're kind of we're, we're talking about stories and we're talking about authors. We're going to hit and we're going to kind of you know because I mean, Grant sometimes are on Skype all the time, just chatting. You know, they type me to chat. And it would be nice actually just to talk about it and talk to Grant about it and then actually record them kind of meetings and play them as well, you know. So there's a thought. So, yes, don't forget, if you like to donate, please, it is, well, it's just gobsmacking appreciated, you know what I mean, if you can do that for us, if you want to sign up for the monthly donations. So if you've got any thoughts, drop us an email, starshipsofa at gmail.com. So this is not the end of the kind of the old side of the shows, as you know. There will be the odd one, kind of every month, every once or two months. I don't know. You know, hopefully it'll be okay. Like I say, drop us an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I would just like to say, good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Starship Sofa. Evacuation procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1.